0: When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces of the animals. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, uh, once again we come before you and ask you to be with us this morning, and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Have I ever told you all that my preaching class in seminary was taught by a mime? This is the absolute truth, and I sort of feel like I need to bring it up every once in a while so that when you hear somebody complaining about my sermons, you can sort of leap to my defense and say, well, it's not his fault. He was taught by a mime. Perhaps instructively, I don't remember a lot about that preaching class other than doing breathing exercises and uh, pretending that I was in an invisible box. Literally happened. The one specific pre- piece of preaching advice that I do remember actually didn't come from the mime, uh, but came from one of my other professors, which makes sense, you know, because he could actually speak to me. But this professor told me that the most important part of any sermon was the illustrations that thing that you use to connect what you're trying to say to the people to whom you're trying to say it. And I don't know if the illustrations are the most important thing, but I do think that illustrations are very important, and I do spend some time in my sermon preparation thinking about illustrations. In fact, sometimes I'll spend most of my time thinking about the ways in which to connect the thing that I want to say to the people to whom I'm saying it. And once I get sort of that figured out, the rest of the sermon can come pretty easily. This week, of course, was especially easy because the scripture reading that we have before us this morning from Genesis 15 is a story. It is an illustration. I don't really have to do any work at all. The Bible has done it for me, putting the good news about the grace of God in story form, right in front of our eyes. So, Recall the reading that you heard a few moments ago from Genesis 15. The setup is pretty simple. God makes Abram, who will become Abraham but has not become him yet, a promise. But Abram is skeptical. See, the Lord has already told Abram that from him he will make a great nation and that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And we read that this, Abram believed, and that that belief, that faith was counted to him as righteousness. But then God keeps making promises. He says, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And now Abram has a doubt. He says to God, O Lord God, how am I to know? That I shall possess it. How am I to know? Great promise, God, but how do I know that it's true? Does that sound familiar? Great promise, God, but how do I know that it's true? When we hear, The amazing promises of God, who allegedly so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that you and me, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. When we hear these promises, don't we often think, can it be true? How do I know? So God sets out to show us, he knows our doubt. So he decides to prove his faithfulness. He knows that his promise sounds unbelievable. So he turns us into believers. Now for Abram, it seems like he decides to do this in a very strange way. Right with these animals sliced in half and laid out and smoking fire pots, etc. And that seems very strange to us, very Old Testament, if you will. But actually, back then, this is what you did. When two parties would enter into a covenant, this is how they would ratify it. They would get some animals, cut them in half, like you do, uh, lay them out on either side of a path. And then the two parties who were entering into the covenant would walk between the animals, in effect saying, if I break this covenant, may I end up like these animals. You can think of it as sort of an ancient version of cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, which when you really think about it is just as grisly as anything we have in Genesis. This is the ultimate I promise, right? Right? The parties entering into this covenant are staking their very lives on their faithfulness to it. And that's what makes this covenant, this specific covenant made between God and Abram, so incredible, such a moving illustration of God's grace. Because when it comes time to ratify the covenant, when it comes time to pass between the animals, God puts Abram to sleep and passes, symbolized by the smoking fire pot and flaming torch, between the animals alone. Take a moment to let the implications of that sink in. Do you see what this means? By passing between the animals alone... The Lord is saying one thing that we expect, one thing that's obvious, but one other thing that is absolutely earth-shattering. First, he says an obvious thing. Like anyone who enters into a covenant like this, he's saying, if I break the covenant, it's on me. Sure, that makes sense. That's what these covenants are supposed to be all about. But then, he says something incredible. By passing through the animals alone, he's saying, if you break your promises to me, it's still on me. God is promising to uphold both sides of the deal. In this world that we live in, this world of you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours, this world of you give me mine and then I'll give you yours, this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, relationships are a two-way street world. Our God is talking about a one-way love. From him to you. His love given to you. His faithfulness given to you. His righteousness given to you. Abram's relationship, his covenant with God, doesn't depend on Abram at all. In fact, Abram is so uninvolved in the deal that he not only doesn't pass between the animals, he's asleep the whole time. This is the illustration we've been given to help us understand our covenant, our relationship to God. And there could be no illustration more passive than this. An uninvolved human, no, wait, an unconscious human being receiving the benefits of a promise from an active God. He is good. We are asleep. And when we awaken, the deal is done. And we are saved. The other night, I told one of my kids that as a consequence for some bad behavior, he wasn't allowed to read books at bedtime. And he was understandably sad, uh, but I didn't truly understand the depth of his sadness until I assured him that he could read books the next night. You don't know that, he said. Well, sure, I responded, as long as you're a good listener. And that's when the true sadness came, along with the true confession. Maybe I won't be, he said. What if I'm not? Maybe I won't be. What if I'm not? Does that sound familiar? Great promise, God. How do I know that it's true? And that's when it hit me. We don't doubt that God's not good enough to keep his promises. We doubt that we're good enough to deserve them. When we hear the promises that he sent his son to die for us, that he will be with us to the end of the age, that he loves us, we say, Great promise, God. How do I know that it's true? We're not afraid that God's going to welch on his promises. What we're afraid of is that he'll look at us and say, this promise is too wonderful for the likes of you. And isn't that the fear beneath all of our other fears? That God will decide that his promise is too wonderful for the likes of us? But that's what this ceremony with Abram is all about. The promise is too wonderful for the likes of us, but it doesn't depend on us. You're not good enough to deserve what God has offered you, his free gift to you. But God doesn't give his gifts on account of you. God gives his gifts on account of Christ. And this is the very essence of the gospel. When we are faithless, he is faithful. As I close, I'd like to share some song lyrics with you. This is from Third Day's song, Take My Life. And it goes like this. How many times have I turned away? The number is the same as the sand on the shore. But every time you've taken me back. And now I pray you do it once more. Please take from me my life when I don't have the strength to give it away to you, Jesus. How many times have I turned away? The number is the same as the stars in the sky. But every time you've taken me back. And now I pray you do it tonight. Every time. And here's the proof. God's love is not conditional. It doesn't depend on us. He holds up both ends of the bargain. When we don't deserve his love, he calls us beloved sons and daughters. Not on account of anything we've done, but on account of Jesus Christ. While we were sleeping, he saved us. Amen.